0: Hello, hello! Welcome to another episode of Just Two Dudes Reading Theory. I'm Chris. I'm Preston. And this week we're doing the first part of Julia Kristeva's Powers of Horror, which really is just going to be introducing it and getting into some of the themes, and then next week we're going to finish this sucker off. It is a long and winding road.
1: This is... Man, I uh, just felt... Dumb for a lot of this. It's like, <laughs> do I not know how to read? Have I been fooling myself and thinking I know what's going on in anything I've been reading? Yeah, because so this is definitely one of the harder books, personally I've ever read.
0: The, um, this, this is this makes Being in Time look kind of fun. Okay,
1: so I was gonna say this is like the hardest thing I've read since Being in Time, but with Being in Time, I had. Two guidebooks, as well as you helping me out on it, that was immensely helpful. Yes. Whereas, man, like, a lot of this, like, the first chapter was definitely a lot easier, but chapter two was so much this, like, oh, okay, I'm with you, I'm, what are we talking about now?
0: Yeah, and, and we're gonna do our problems, but first, we're gonna give a little summary. So... Abjection is not just a simple fear of an object, mm-hmm. although she claims it is the root of all phobia, which kind of makes sense. I don't. I'm not gonna take her to task on that. I, I kind of like that. It was, a, it was the root of
1: all phobias. There's a little bit of déjà vu from last week where I'm like, "Okay, I'm with you on some of these root ideas." But your supporting paragraph, I don't know, man. I don't know if we're getting some supporting evidence here, <laughs> if we're just getting
0: more claims. <laughs> but, the abject is not an object. And my, my first thought to that, of course, was, well, isn't it just a quality? But that's okay. It is much deeper than that, and I don't think she wants to say that because I don't think she wants to cheapen its value. Mm. But it involves very specific experiences in human life that are unilaterally terrible. Mm. (laughs) So her two examples at the beginning is drinking spoiled milk and viewing a corpse. And I think that I want to just read her excellent and horrible phenomenology of drinking spoiled milk. It's only a paragraph. She writes food loathing is perhaps the most elementary and most archaic form of abjection. When the eyes see or the lips touch that skin on the surface of milk, harmless, thin as a sheet of cigarette paper, pitiful as a nail paring, I experience a gagging sensation and still further d- farther down spasms in the stomach, the belly, and all the organs shrivel up the body, provoke tears and bile, increase heartbeat cause forehead and hands to perspire. Along with sight clouding dizziness, nausea makes me balk at that milk cream, separates me from the mother and father who proffer it. Ooh. Ooh. So that's the bad side of objection. This is not really, it's not like it's a good or a bad side, but that's the elementary side. And then I'm just going to read a couple more sentences because there's a flip side where abjection for her is also about formation of self-identity Ugh. and she goes on i want none of that element sign of their desire i do not want to listen i do not assimilate it i expel it but since the food is not an other for me who am only in their desire i expel myself i spit myself out i abject myself with the same motion through which i claim to establish myself hmm All of that and drinking spilt milk. (laughs) Now, of course, the everyday person sees the immediate split between phenomenology and psychoanalysis in that one paragraph, right? Like, I feel that there is a beginning with just your descriptive analysis. And then that second part is where she is more of a psychoanalyst. The -hmm. idea of it
1: being an I in that way. is she using the psychoanalysis as like an attempt to explain beyond the phenomenology like why it's not just a feeling there is something deeper to abjection
0: yeah i get the sense i don't know and and correct me if i'm wrong but i get the sense that there's a phenomenology is a useful tool to cue us all into what we're talking about Mm. but then beyond that there's a structure of horror and that's where she's a psychoanalyst. Right. Because the structure of horror is in part phenomenological, but in part goes back deeper than our memory could handle, I I would say. Um, like like she really talks about abjection in a way which is like similar to the idea of when you're getting absorbed back into the mother's body almost, mm. right? And yet, that's not really an approachable experience for me. You know, even if it was like, in was it is, is the, the movie where it's a bunch of men walking into a woman's vagina? Doctor, isn't isn't that uh, there's a joke? It's it's a bunch of men walking in, they're doctors, and they're walking in to this door. I don't know, but it doesn't matter. But in any event, the point is that that's not experienceable for me, and. So in its place, we get the horror of the loss of self. Mm. Is what I read that as. Is that does that kind of confer with your reading? Yeah,
1: I I think I would would agree with that.
0: Yeah, and I also think that like the loss of identity that you experience. Remember, she also talks about it as like, like similar but distinctly different to the concept of the sublime. Because I, I would say that one of the facets of the sublime is also a loss of self.
1: Yes. Right? Like, you lose yourself in the vastness of whatever. And I I feel like she, um, there are definitely some spots where she, like, directly ties the two together. And I, oh, I always struggle pronouncing this. It, it's a French word, right? The, jouissance? The jouissance? Jouissance! 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 Yeah,
0: the, the beyond of pleasure, right? Yeah. Like the, like, the, uh... The beyond of even enjoyment, the the uh, catastrophic event of enjoyment, right? It's like the,
1: it's like the ego death on a really strong psychedelic trip, where like just absolute loss of self.
0: And I wonder if like similarly to like a psychotic experience, which would be like you lose death, you you lose death, you lose your ego. And lose death, I guess, but you lose it and imagine you're not on a psychedelic, right? This is, uh,
1: I mean, I've had unpleasant experiences with this, but I've heard that like psychedelics are not the best, like, you know, they've been doing a bunch of research. They can be really helpful with, you know, various mental health things. Oh yeah. Not schizophrenia.
0: Right. Because there's already, the reel is already too close, right? It's already there.
1: Yeah, so, like, uh, Philip K. Dick, you know? Yeah. Which, you know, we're gonna read some of his stuff later. Of course. Fun. Oh, yeah. Um, who, you know, suffered with schizophrenia, some other mental health issues, uh, did not like psychedelics. Mm. His experiences with them were like, more traumatizing than, like, the oneness and jouissance that, you know, you, uh, you know, commonly hear people experience when, when doing psychedelics like that. Yeah. Peaking, as they say, you know, and you're hitting, like, the top of it where it's, like, complete loss of self
0: yeah although there is in jouissance this idea of terror still embedded the two experiences in cinema that remind me of that is like the end of raiders of the lost ark when the man is enjoying his face melting off into nothing you know (laughs) i think that's closer to it and then another one would be you know bursting into laughter the moment you burst into flames
1: oh so, it <laughs>
0: would be kind of similar. I think
1: this. <laughs> Close to the kinda, death drive. I think this fits really well with psychedelics still, and I think yeah. that's where bad trips come from. Mm. It's like that loss of self in certain scenarios is not pleasant. It is not fun. Oof. And it is a feeling of just absolute unnameable horror. Yeah. The impending sense of doom is a is a good way to describe it.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, and here's a great quote. She's writing about Artaud. Artaud, I'm sorry, I am really bad with French names, and I haven't actually Artaud? read any Artaud. Artaud. Um, but she writes, the death that I am provokes horror. There is a choking sensation that does not separate inside from outside but draws them the one into the other indefinitely. And that's kind of that kind of sums up everything we've been saying, actually, yeah. right? Like that's I'm also we we've been talking about this earlier. Like for for Kristeva, she says, you know, it's not it's not the uncanny. And we're gonna read Freud's Uncanny, because it's a great essay, of course, but also like uh, I think it's the example that I would give is that Abjection is seeing the corpse.
1: Uncanny is seeing a badly 3D animated movie where they tried to make people look real. And it's just kind of unsettling the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, it's aesthetic. It's aesthetic, like said, yeah. It's, 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 in it's the, more of an aesthetic thing.
0: And Uncanny is, is, is more of a tool of artists, where objection is still a tool of artists, but I, I think it's harder to do, actually.
1: But I think Kristeva kind of argues it's... A key to good writing is... Yeah. Well, this actually gets into her whole other batshit theory. Yeah. yeah, Where, (laughs) you know, all writing is based on abjection.
0: Yes. So, for everyone there, that is not a joke. All of the stuff we've just talked about is true and also, I think, just true. I'm going to... I would defend everything we've said so far that Kristeva has said that I would say I agree with. I, I get, agree. Like fits with my experience.
1: Yeah, like mm-hmm. phenomenologically, for sure. <laughs> ding ding ding! I wish she was a little bit better about explaining the psychoanalytical part of it because woof woof. That's where it gets a little bit harder because like I'm totally on board with a yeah the stuff I can understand in there. I'm like yes yes that that like definitely connects. I get that. But Nan, when she starts chapter two, was.
0: <sighs> yeah,
1: so she writes
0: The writer is a phobic who succeeds in metaphorizing in order to keep from being frightened to death. Instead, he comes to life
1: again in signs. And. It's a cool line, but I don't know if I necessarily agree with that.
0: Yeah. And what's great is because it was so open and gigantic, you could probably pick like twenty ways to disagree with it, okay. right? We do have what's a one way Let's to disagree? analyze that? With yeah. an Example. Yeah, yeah.
1: Right here in Utah, there is currently a criminal court case going on over a woman accused of killing her husband. Yes. After her husband died. She wrote a children's book that got pretty popular talking about how to deal with grieving over a loved one, I think is kind of the idea. Right. Um,
0: and that grief is made even worse when you're the one who but killed But there's it. a
1: good chance she's the one that murdered him. Oh, and then there's, like, this crazy stuff where she's trying to tell, like, her family members that it's really important in court that you guys keep stressing his connection to, like, drugs and the mexican cartel and stuff (laughs) yeah right which is all really tenuous because he he died a like very lethal overdose of fentanyl right and it doesn't take a lot of fentanyl to kill you and i'm pretty sure he got like a lot and she was poisoning him so no yeah connect so
0: so how does that conflict with kristeva's origin of writing
1: so is The origin of this woman's writing, which, by the way, she's currently writing another novel that has some weird similarities to all this shit, again. That's great. It's perfect. And keeps, like, making these claims that, like, these things she said or discussed were in research for this book that she's doing.
0: Talk about nachtraglichkeit, retroactivity, right? <laughs> there is this, uh, but yeah, yeah. So, so
1: <laughs> is, is this uh, the fear that this woman is experiencing over murdering her husband? That she's like, oh my god, I can't live with it. I, I'll write, I'll write books, and that's how I'll escape this, this looming. I murdered my husband thing
0: i think kristeva would say well she would say maybe a couple things maybe she would say no 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 we can only mm-hmm. approach this in the world of fiction not in the self the children's blood well, they a, can't
1: a, actually have murdered someone
0: but i i don't think she would say that i think i think she would say yes and i think she would say that like look the that's actually the greatest example is there, I, the, I, the I crime. Say, i was
1: like that's that one kind of fits hers it's not like, a disagreement that's kind of a scenario that i'm like that is kind of a way someone who would murder their husband might deal with the guilt. But, like, people have framed it as, like, she's...
0: Retroactively like she's making, apologizing. And she's or... making money
1: yeah. off of the murder of her husband as, like, the grieving widow of it. But I think for Steva, like, reading that made me think, I was like, huh, is this, like, her way of avoiding that reality and that like deep unsettling horror that yeah like whether it was justified or not like I, we don't know enough like the context of what was going on in the house
0: but let's just but, say that even if it was it's not normal to do that I, I think that if, any funny just,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think anytime you like take a human life, there is an unavoidable abjection there. Like, that is an ultimate form of abjection, I think, is... is murder. Yeah, like, whether it's Mm -hmm. accidental, you hit someone driving, like, anything. It's, like, one of the things I've always thought about with, like, the whole concealed weapon thing is, like, even if you've defended your life or loved one's lives, how much... Does watching someone die after you shoot them, like, haunt you for the rest of your life? There is a
0: totally other reading, though. Let's imagine she's a sociopath. And I think that what I would say psychoanalytically about a sociopath who murders the husband and then does whatever is, like... (laughs) Okay, a more extreme case. When, When serial killers do weird things with bodies, like make them into hats or lampshades or whatever... There is a sense that, like, at its most extreme, psychopathy and sociopathy are two in the real. And, like, they're just searching for the symbolic in all the wrong places. <laughs> like, opening well,
1: the head to find the thoughts or something. Well, this is <laughs> right? one of the things that, like, oh, in the second chapter, she kept flowing in and out of, like, oh, I get that. Uh, yeah, oh, oh, oh. Just yeah, when she started talking about borderline people, which... I think we would call sociopaths at a certain level, like borderline, it's like borderline personality, sociopath, psychopath, or like three levels of that. Right. But she's, I think she hints really well on this idea that like, really bad borderline. I think that they've adjusted stuff a bit more to fit this a little bit better, but like Yeah, they're definitely different now. Sociopaths and psychopaths, like your serial killer people... One of the things that's kind of crazy about them is, like, they don't actually have an identity because everything people know about them is their attempt to reflect what they think they're supposed to be doing. Does that make yeah. sense? Yes, I think that's, it's I think a, that's totally... It's a it's, uh, masks. Yeah, it's, 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 it's uh, masks. American Psycho.
0: Yes. Right? Like an American psycho, the idea this is fictional obviously, but it, it it accords with how how psychopaths have talked in interviews, is that the idea is that there's nothing beyond the mask.
1: And what Ted Bunny's like perfect example. Yeah. This yeah. is a dude when he was first arrested, his like state president at his ward spoke on his behalf of how great of a guy he was and how like they've got the wrong person and everything. Yeah. Which that flipped when evidence started coming out. <laughs> and but like the people who've interviewed him and everything have said like we have no fucking clue who Ted Bundy actually is. We don't know when he's telling the truth, when he's fucking lying to us. Yeah. Cause it's all just constructive. Yes, everything's. It's the ultimate, just it's mass. the ultimate, like
0: it's the ultimate identity by by like over overmining. Like, like, where it's just based on effects and just responses, but there's no, like... Well, I identify as me because I like music. I mean, that's, like, really boring and stupid, but, like, it kind of fits with a lot more... Like like, 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 like things that are really stupid and fucking basic are usually how we begin to think about our identity when we blast. flags, yeah. yeah, it's like, I like... I identify with certain music. I liked it. The, the problem is with psychopaths. It's actually really interesting, is in a sense, and this is also it's slightly different from schizophrenia, but there's an overlap of like, there's still a truth value in psychopathy in the sense that like the, yeah, everything is sort of a mask in a sense. Like, like when you dig down and try and find your real you, as Zizek says, you find nothing but like piles of shit. And like, so there's a sense that where they fail is that they don't have that like beyond of subjectivity they kind of just have a bunch of signifiers netted together in a way that is convenient,
1: Oof.
0: or inconvenient. I mean, it's also like we're we're talking about this from the side of intelligence. Most psychopathy is correlated to, if I remember right, lower IQs. It's not. It's the it's a very rare breed we're talking about of like a really Most smart person. Most killers
1: are not that smart. That's true. That's and true. There's oh man the this podcast I've been listening to on the guy that killed. The Versace, yeah, lady. like that guy is like a great example of mm-hmm. like no identity. He just was a series of masks, yeah. And um, like the way they they talk about it is like a great example of how like these people have a tendency to imitate intelligence. So they can like... Which is similar to like what we would think of like as like a narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah, like they can read yeah. and remember things really well, but they don't actually understand them. So they know when to parrot these facts to act like they know what mm-hmm. they're talking about. But they don't actually understand any of it. But on the other side of that... Yeah. Other end of your serial killers. No masks. They're a just, yeah. Yeah cuz Ed Gein is
0: the ultimate it's almost like flaws in the in the human world produced him. It's not it's it's he it was he was constructed by reality. He wasn't
1: like born a monster. Yeah, like he legitimately like it seemed like he didn't really understand that these horrifying things he did were really that bad. And I think that makes him
0: more interesting. Right? Because, like, if you think about it, Psycho is an infinitely better film than, than you know, uh, uh, the, the one that we're referencing. Uh, um, this oh, ball. American Psycho. Yeah, American Psycho's fine. It's got great parts. But I, I would argue that, that Psycho is more interesting in a sense because he replays a family drama. The reason that, that we're given by the detective at the end of Psycho fits within a psychodynamic. Story, whereas the story that we get about subjectivity from American Psycho is foreign, in the sense of like 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 distinctly other, like it's a, like an alien mm. man, right? Like whereas Norman Bates well, is not, mention, not like, foreign,
1: he's he's kind of abject, right? Yeah. <laughs> like he's more abject. Not I to guess. mention like the entire. Mm-hmm. The entire narrative, like, I mean, that it's, it's a great example of a, uh, unreliable narrator. Like, that that movie's a perfect example of it. Because by the end of I haven't read the book. I still need to read the book, because I've heard the book is great. Yeah. But at the end of it, you don't know if any of it actually fucking happened. It could have all been a delusion. So you're. Oh, it's part with, of like, his psycho... Yeah, so it was either he, like, hallucinated all these things as, like, this granderous stuff to make himself feel important, and it was all just, like, made up. Yeah. Or it's a critique on how heartless the business world is, and they actually don't fucking know who anybody is, and he got away with murdering everyone. Right. Because nobody knows who he other are but the fact that you don't know is kind of like
0: that's more the yeah and that's the interesting part about American Psycho and also American Psycho is interesting in a lot of other registers including introducing like postmodernism and all that other stuff but I I, I also there's a this low-hanging fruit here because Psycho is directed by Hitchcock who's just great so there is a little bit of like like it's kind of not really nice to compare the two I would Uh, say
1: on today's episode (laughs) of horrible people who did great things yeah or great men with a capital G it's the... Yeah! Yeah, Great Men with the, a capital uh, G! <laughs> what's his face? Uh, Dan Dan Carlin? The, yeah. The podcaster. Yeah. That's great Men with a capital G. They they don't necessarily do good things, even. Like, they may be terrible people who did terrible things. Yeah. But we're always going to remember them. So it's, it's Great with a capital G. That's great.
0: So... Getting back to this portion of language and everything about how language is related to abjection. Kristeva literally says and makes her argument that it goes back to, remember, we're talking psychoanalysis. So we're going back to the formations of ourself in our early childhood. You do not get the mother's breast. So you write.
1: Ah, yes. Every great writer. Bitter about that breast.
0: Well, there's a sense that it's hard to engage with the thesis at that level. And I think that...
1: You know, I had some supporting statements to some of these things.
0: Well, I think... So the traditional idea from creative writers and daydreaming from Freud... And we're talking pop fic. He 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 doesn't say we're talking great literature. And Kristeva's only talking great literature, but that's that's a minor point. For for Freud and creative writers and daydreaming, the idea is that the the story is a fantasy that that services wish fulfillment. Mm. And so, if it's that on that level, then the primal wish would be for sustenance, the mother's milk, and. On that level, I'm willing to say, okay, all right, that's sort of a, a myth I will go with. And I don't mean myth in the sense like a thing that's distinctly not true. I mean a sort of non-falsifiable story that psychoanalysis furnishes us with, right? Mm-hmm. And so if, if you don't get the mother's breast and instead you reach and grab the writing utensil or whatever as and, and you go for it instead of the wish fulfillment for the mother's breast you get the whole construction of whatever the fantasy is gonna be. But you also get identity. You know, in writing you get you get the formation of of the identity of the self in that way.
1: I can give you an example that definitely supports that idea real well. Okay. So, um have you ever read any uh like Jimi Hendrix bios? No. It's really interesting to find out that his mom was a large motivating factor in a lot of his writing. Okay. And her death was a significantly, like, devastating thing. But, like, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's even, like, quoted as saying that, like, his mom is a huge inspiration for the way he wrote about a lot of stuff. So the whole, uh... He couldn't get the breast. So we got music. He picked up a guitar instead.
0: (laughs) It's also on a different level that I find actually deeply off putting is on a lot of reality shows, it's really common for men in particular to say, you know, I just want to date my mom. I don't
1: know why that's like acceptable. That always, like, (laughs) that idea that, that, like, oh, you're always just going to end up with someone like your mom (laughs) fucking horrified me. And really, I'm still. A, I never like, really thought about it before. I just thought I'm, about it on the level of that's a deeply strange. Yeah, th- the it's, sentiment. But it's you, you not But like, I'm. My parents. I'm definitely closer with my mom. Like, yeah, I was. I've always. Acclimated more that way. Like, I. I have three other siblings, and we just split down the middle. Like my. Yeah. Older brother and sister. Definitely lean a little bit more towards like, my dad share a little bit more of his traits and stuff. And I think it's probably just because he was a little more involved maybe at that stage. Cause it's, you know, the first two. Yeah. And then me and my little sister are very much leaning towards like my mom.
0: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. So, um, for what she's saying, she offers a, a very Lacanian reading of, of language. So remember that language is in the domain of the symbolic, mm. you know, and self-identity is the, is the imaginary and the, and the real is the, the traumatizing kind of absence. Um, or just like it begins in Lacan in like seminar one more as like just reality.
1: So did um, Freud have a similar triangle? No, to, but, but to it's, that cause she mentions the triangle stuff a lot. And she's using more like Lacanian models, right? She's using a hodgepodge, I
0: think, of Freud and Lacan. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, and it's kind of a hodgepodge in a way that I don't know if I like. Because they're pretty different. But I'm going to... Okay, so the, 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 the thing about language formation and the writer, I think, is really made clear in this quote. And how it, how it relates to the symbolic. She writes, The writer fascinated by the abject, imagines its logic, projects himself into it, introjects it, he's bringing it into the self, and as a consequence, perverts language, style, and content. But on the other hand, as the sense of abjection is both the abjects judge and accomplice, this is also true of the literature that confronts it. One might thus say that with such a literature, there takes place a crossing over of the dichotomous categories of pure, and impure, prohibition and sin,
1: and morality and immorality. What book does that make you think of right off the bat? Colette's *The Pure and the Impure*. <laughs> Which one are you thinking of? Blood Meridian. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think yeah, let's talk that about that. Phenomenal yeah, phenomenal description of Blood Meridian. Yeah. like everything in it, you know, even the like the perversion of the language and stuff. That's the first book I read that when I started on I was like wait. Was that dialogue? Oh, so for the readers, Cormac McCarthy does not give
0: quotation marks. You have to you have to abstract and kind of situationally figure out who's talking in Blood Meridian.
1: And not just that, like, you don't even get, like, the line, line, line. You don't get differentiation all the time. Yeah, a lot of the time it's just, like, run through, which at the beginning was so off putting for me. Like, it was hard. I had to reread the first couple. Yes. Before, you know, like, as you get into it, I kind of enjoy the elusiveness of who's speaking. And that
0: directly is about identity confusion in a sense right like you you don't <laughs> perversion know version of the language and and i think like in a lot of like modernist writing like joyce where you get internal thoughts you get memories you get everything boiled in you get myths and i think there's a ton of writing like that where it's more it's it, it's beyond fantasy right like it's beyond a wish fulfillment that involves the ego Right, like, because, like, in Freud's Creative Writers and Daydreaming, he thinks about, like, pop fiction as being, like, self-serving our hero, the king baby ego. Mm. You know, the, the main hero who can never die. Like uh, like Harrison Ford, you know, in, in the Indiana Jones series. he's he's kind of fits that model where it's like, you don't actually have to worry about him because he's the ego. He's fine. Um, and he mm. will triumph and get the woman and, and the wish will be fulfilled. The Nazis are defeated, right? But that's not all writing in, 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 and I think that Kristeva might be picking up on this idea of, okay, so what writing isn't that level of wish fulfillment? But is there a level in which the writing still functions as wish fulfillment or
1: keeping something at bay? I think a lot of classical writers' ends may support her...
0: On this, on this small yeah, point. Yeah, you know? and like a
1: lot of like the great musicians... I definitely think that there is an argument that the art and the writing is an attempt to keep that looming, just fucking unexplainable horror at bay, and then at a certain point they just let their guard down and it...
0: And it it invades the language. Um, You know, the phobic object is a proto-writing, which just isn't just like a sort of insane thought actually saying it out loud that's a little bit of a thought where if an undergrad brought that to me i'd be like what
1: explain yourself explain
0: but okay sure the phobic object is a proto-writing so my fear of wolves or whatever or or, or fear of men wearing glasses <laughs> is a proto-proto-writing i respond to my phobia and conversely, any practice of speech, in as much as it involves writing, is a language of fear. Okay, is that really what we're gonna say we believe writing is? Oh no, I don't, I mean, <laughs> I don't really like the beginning. That. Like
1: the beginning, I'm like, oh shit! Like a lot of great writing, it's spot on. Like uh-huh. especially the the confrontation of the abject. Yeah. Like one of the most horrifying things I ever read is that scene in Blood Meridian when they're cleaning up the Indian camp. And he just casually discusses how, you know, one of the guys just has a couple babies by their legs, and it's just like hitting them against the rock, cracking their skulls against the rocks, and then you just like move on. It's like, oh god, oh god, yeah, like just kind of puts it right there. And I, I mean, we're dealing with a lot of other themes here, you know, manifest destiny, and you know. Yeah, and, and making that stuff in there, and
0: making it real in the sense of of out of, of playing it out in fiction shows you the wish fulfillment of what it would have been. So instead of Reaganomics in the '80s, you get the wish fulfillment Ooh. of the people actually alive in that era, which of course is just like terrifying and all over the place. But another thing I think is that like okay, so when we're talking about writing on this level. I think that her thesis is not necessarily one that we like. How do I put it? It's not like one we're ever going to prove wrong. It's not falsifiable, but in a certain sense. But on the other hand, it does feel more applicable than in other authors. When we talk about Blood Meridian, I would also say say that it makes sense in Malaparte.
1: Mm, Yep, that is definitely another one that like. But when another, I think abjection. That yeah. was like, yeah, Malaparte knows how to create abjection in his writing for sure. Yeah. And yeah, the
0: the the scene in the bar where he walks in and the none of the people have eyelids.
1: Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> right? I I also think that like that's that's a, another really good tie to like this is someone who legitimately saw some fucking horrifying things. Yeah,
0: the we, Jews at uh, Jassy, Jassy. I don't know where he saw the uh, train of corpses. The Romanian. The, the Romanian genocide. Yeah. The Jews, yeah, it's horrible. But and, also, okay, so a more normal reading than Because I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to put her as a sort of fringe theorist on some of this. Um, with Not with the first chapter, but with the second chapter, when we start trying to get to a Freudian reading on it. I think that most people would say that what what people like um, Malaparte are doing is coming to terms with their experience now. Like, it's hard for me to say that Malaparte is writing about eyes because he didn't get the rest. It's, it's kind of more like World War Two itself is what's non-symbolizable. And so writing gives it a
1: place to to be, right? So, I mean... I think this was a good follow-up to the fetishism one because I, I think that Kristeva, like, nails some stuff and then she keeps talking you're like, oh, no, no, no. No, not all. There's, I mean, maybe she could argue that it keeps going back beyond the war and there's a reason it's unexplainable. But like I, there's a
0: reason why he started writing in the first place.
1: I... Right, but... I think that, you know, uh, I mean, I still need to keep reading it, but the skin and Kaput are yeah. definitely, I think, a, a product of abjection, but not necessarily because Malaparte didn't get the breast. It's because it he is, lived through World War Two. <laughs> it is. It is the new breast. Yeah. It is the new void of the breast because he saw, like, his horrid
0: stuff. And also... Where I can save some of what Kristev is talking about. The borderline is operative on so many levels. So Mount Mal- Curzio Malaparte, the writer, was first a fascist. He wrote a manual for like how to overthrow governments. And then he flipped sides and worked for the Allies. And he really liked Americans.
1: And and so he slipped. So, so he's like That happens between books, right? Because he's he's a journalist for the fascist during Italian Capone. military during Capone. No,
0: no, no, he's already flipped at that point. If I remember right. Well I that's why he's saying Hitler is a woman? Well
1: no, like I <laughs> I mean himself politically, but not presenting that way. He's still an Italian officer.
0: Oh yeah, he has to he's a double agent.
1: Yes. Yeah, he's yeah. he's he's
0: mentally flipped. Which must be awful.
1: And the only way he can I, deal th- with like that. That order is some right, abjection yeah. right there is trying to imagine the horror yes. of like, can you with your like current political and moral beliefs, sit at a table with a bunch of arist, you know, aristocracy Nazis. Nazis, and just have dinner and listen to them talk about how like people are animals. And Hitler and is this very well, inconvenient, like it is. To yeah. have these things while they're like people getting shot out in the streets. It just, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think on that level, the abject is how he deals with it in writing is obviously through myth-making and, and imagery and all that stuff, but he also gets this sense where he is being towards death. Like, he doesn't really care if he lives or dies, I got from that. Oh, so.
1: I, I definitely got that feeling in every single one of the, like, dinner conversations where he does the record scratch moment in it. Yeah. You get, like, this monologue from all the others, all the other people, and then Malaparte will drop something in there, and you can just hear the... the records drop, Jazz yes. Jazz music stops playing. Yeah. You know?
0: It... And he kind of gets away with it, but, but yet you also tell he, he's not there to just get away with it. You know?
1: Well, all the other writing just kind of gives you this feeling that he's like, you know what? If they shoot me here because of what I say, eh, at least I... Got it in there at the, yeah. at the at the end, and it's uh... well here here so
0: so um, in a part she writes before the beginning separation is the chap is the subheading, you know the abject would thus be the object of primal repression remembering it doesn't technically speaking have an object, and she goes on later abjection with a meaning broadened to take in subjective diachrony is a precondition of narcissism. And we're not talking about narcissistic personality disorder. We're talking about the fundamental narcissism of psychoanalysis. It is coexistent with it and causes it to be permanently brittle. So what I am becomes brittle because of abjection. The more or less beautiful image in which I behold or recognize myself rests upon an abjection that sunders it as soon as repression, the constant watchman, is relaxed. And I guess my thought about fiction is that Fiction is functions to relax repression. Hmm. I guess I would... I mean, I, I think so, you know. We're kind of thinking beyond the text always. But I would say that, that in writing, you can say the thing. Just very simply. I mean, it's, that seems to be what Malaparte is doing or what other great writers are doing, is that in langu- in writing, you can... God, there's that horrible... I, I don't know why it's just so simplistic, but it's like... Writing is what you can get away with, or whatever. But there I mean, is a sense that it lines or up with... for by example, O.J. Yeah. Simpson's book,
1: If I Did It. If I Did It, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That That's, uh... I guess that'd be a nice example of the, uh... I can do it in fiction, but I can't admit to it in real life. Right. <laughs>
0: and I think, like... I think that she's sticking to like quote unquote like
1: great literature because Are you telling me OJ Simpson's OJ <laughs> Great Simpsonal memoir if I did it isn't great fiction isn't great literature. I haven't
0: read it actually. Wouldn't it be wouldn't it be wild if it was like a sleeper masterpiece, right? But 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 the point well, of Oh, no, I'm curious. Well we gotta read it. But but I would <laughs> I would say for me, that the reason one of the reasons why we're reaching farther back isn't just because she's a psychoanalyst it's also because these formative experiences are are to her universal not in the exact way that it would happen in a freudian scenario of course but the idea that there is a religious right that prevents abjection or a um uh well well here's an example um so uh most people who are christian don't want you to call Jesus a zombie because there's a degree of technical. Well, there's, there's an idea that Jesus as a corpse that rises from the dead is holding this religious belief together. But if you flip it around and go for, for the, per, uh, like, you know, obscene, Flip side of they of,
1: never talked about you know? the brains they had to feed Christ when he revisited. Yeah, that's there yeah. were far more than thirteen apostles. We only talk about thirteen, cause all the other ones, ugh, brains, you know. Yeah, I love it. But <laughs> but like there is this idea
0: that even under Christ there's abjection. If you flip the narrative around and think undead and I don't think that's a very comfortable thought but I think where I'm going with her is I think that at the founding of every religion there would be a sort of obscene flip side that you could spin it from outside but that outside is actually still kind of there preventing abjection like it's kind of a complicated back and forth but but I, I don't know I can kind of see it I can kind of see like this idea of you found your belief system to make sure that you're part of the symbolic order. But Mm. even that founding includes an element that when looked at in the right angle or when the repression is loosened a little releases its monstrosity. So an example would be the founding of America for Blood Meridian, not the founding of them, you know, the uh, westward expansion is thought of in the patriotic sense. But then there's this obscene underside, which is sort of, yeah, we killed a bunch of people and it was terrible. But that's not really engaging with it. Like, showing the obscene underside is much more interesting.
1: And I, I think that one of the things that makes that that book kind of horrifying in the Mm -hmm. way it's portrayed is it's a lot of these like really horrifying visual things he's portraying are described the same way you'd have history of the expansion of the West described you in a history class about how, you know, and God told people that it was all their land. And so we just made our way across that scene is like, and he just you know grabbed them by the leg and bashed their skulls <laughs> upon the rocks, and then blah blah blah, and we murdered these people, and then yeah. we set up camp for the night.
0: And it's there, but it's, it's not easy to identify with it. First of all, that's very hard to do, and it's
1: also anyone who can identify with that. Is, is maybe on our psychopathic scale they're like oh yeah i get that Mm, (laughs) well
0: no i mean identify with it like saying that is the founding myth so so you say the founding myth of america is is that you know we spread our values to help other people and colonize the west and we spread ourselves out that same myth is and we bashed their skulls against the rock it's it's the same myth
1: god their skulls crushed yeah
0: it's not a different myth it's so so i think what we should do is actually try to assimilate so the founding myth of America is killing, you know, founding myth is, is crushing baby skulls. Now I'm, I'm saying founding myth of America, but what I really mean is, you know, the when manifest destiny comes out, I don't mean the revolutionary war. That one is harder to, it's much more interesting probably, but like, uh, here is by the way, another quote, it's a little bit later on, but we'll get there. I just thought it kind of helps. We are now in a position to recall what was suggested earlier concerning that border of subjectivity where the object no longer has or does not yet have a correlative function bonding the subject. On that location, to the contrary, the vacillating, fascinating, threatening, and dangerous object is silhouetted as non-being, as the abjection into which the speaking being is permanently engulfed. So it's the idea of, like, we're sitting on a bed... And beneath that bed is just abjection. <laughs> but there's no object. It's just... It's because it can't be an object because you can't be there to experience it because you've been engulfed into the society morass of bodies on bodies on bodies. Mm. This 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 hooks up with Carol Narby, uh, an episode we did earlier, where we talked about the film Society, and I think Society is pretty abject because it ends with this scene of just bodies writhing together and forming a mass but what makes it abject is is that some are really really having a great time and others are not (laughs) i think if everyone was just having a good time it would be abject on the level of just what it is but the fact that we can identify with a character makes it actually
1: worse it's only fun being turned inside out from the asshole getting your face grabbed and turned inside out if that's what you were looking for when you went into that weird fleshy orgy
0: right like i don't think it'd be object if no one was having a good time let me rephrase that it would be still obviously object <laughs> it would be, that would be worse but if everyone was having a good time it would still only be one red one level of objection. the fact that you have people trying to not be absorbed I think is what like it is, is what, what really highlights it. Yeah.
1: fucking disturbing, and yeah. they even play with that more as the beings that are supposed to enjoy it. There's a few that are avoiding it, like your yeah. female lead is yeah. actively avoiding this the whole yeah. time, even though that is what they're supposed to do. Yeah, so it's not just from the view of like the outsider; even an insider can see. The, like, deep, unsettling terror Yeah, that is the weird flesh orgy, but we'll get to the bottom of this
0: next time. I think we should do just a really quick summary of what Abjection is, and I'm just going to read her opening. There looms within abjection one of those violent, dark revolts of being, directed against a threat that seems to emanate from an exorbitant outside or inside, ejected beyond the scope of the possible, the tolerable, the thinker. It lies there, quite close, but it cannot be assimilated.
1: The unnameable.
0: The unnameable.
1: The blob.
0: Yes. A hatred that smiles. Horrifying. Speaking of the movie, smile. All right. Um, one last really quick thing before we go. She writes, essentially different from uncanniness, more violent to. Abjection is elaborated through a failure to recognize its kin. Nothing is familiar, not even the shadow of a memory.
1: Ooh, that is a great way that's to put a spot it. on way to separate it. Uncanning is unsettling mm-hmm. because... Like, There's a the familiar... Alike- It's the inability of your brain to, like...
0: Put it between two objects. Yes. Always. Always between two. It's
1: so close to the familiar, Yeah, but not quite, so it's just... Just a little wrong. It's why they avoided animating people's faces. And probably should have for Polar Express. It's why in (laughs) the Toy Story 4 flashbacks, they're like, hey, how about we don't use the actual scenes from Toy Story 1 when Andy is a little bit on the Annabelle scale of, like, unsettling. They're like, hey, we know how to animate faces now. We have to make them look like cartoons, not real people. (laughs) Yeah. And, yeah, I... All right, the, uh... I don't know if I'd call that abject. No, but I would call it uncanny. Yeah, like, I think the abject is the, uh... The far end of that. It's the inability to connect the terror to self.
0: Yeah, it's uh you're the uncanny Andy trying to eat raw meat. I don't know, something just making random thoughts now, but yes, that would be abject. All right. Uh, I think that that is a good introduction. I think we have served this
1: text and also resisted maybe some aspects a little bit of it. Of I'm, I'm mixed feelings about diving more into this. I'm hoping we get a little more chapter 1 kind of stuff, less less chapter 2y things as we go along cuz we may feel differently about a lot of this stuff by the end of this. Yeah,
0: and we might be wrong. I have a I reserve the right to critique myself in the next episode on things I, that I've said I in will this episode. Say I
1: I'm far from an expert on this and have no, you know, foot in the game here on Whether or not I'm right about any of this.
0: Which makes reading it so fun.
1: Yeah, it's... I have no responsibility to be correct about this text.
0: I do, a little. But we'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Powers of Horror. We'll do the rest of the book next week. Till next time.